Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio. Good night. Actually, good evening. Uh, my name is Keith. I'll be your uh, your host for the next hour. We've got a special show tonight. It's going to be a little bit shorter, but nonetheless packed with a lot of good stuff. Uh, uh, most important of which is uh, my co-host, Duke, uh, actually had a chance to sit down and talk to Cam Wake. Uh, I, what was it, on Tuesday? Uh, yeah, uh, Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll air that in a little bit, and we're also going to talk about a few things, and uh, while we're doing that, if you guys want to go ahead and give us a call, 347-326-9461. We're live for about an hour. We might go a little bit over, a little press for time this week. I've got a, a lot going on, but I wanted to get this show in, uh, get that interview out there. I know Duke's really excited about it. Uh, I'm sure all of you are excited about it. I saw a lot of positive comments about it on Twitter. A lot of people looking forward to hearing to what uh, Cam had to say. Uh, so without giving too much away about it, uh, how did it go? How, what was it like to, to talk to him? It was very cool. Um, it, it started out kind of rough because I had logged into the blog talk radio as the host. So I could set everything up. Well, somehow I was messing with my phone, and I ended up cutting off. I ended up hanging up. I tried to call back. It just kept giving me a busy signal. I couldn't get back on. So, of course, I'm freaking out. And uh, I'm texting Kevin, and he says, well, just call in like you would on the normal number. There's there's two different numbers, for those that didn't know. And uh, the host has a number that he uses to run the switchboard, and then the, everybody else calls in on the same number that, that you see on the, on the site there. And so I called in. I was able to get on there. I couldn't tell if anybody was, could hear me or anything. So uh, they eventually called. Uh, it was the uh, the representative for uh, that promotional thing he's doing. And it was a conference call, so he patched Cam in. We talked a little bit for about a minute, just to kind of set it up, and then we went right into it. Then after it was over, I kind of spoke with him a little bit, just, you know, told him how cool it was to get to talk to, get to, talk to who is, you know, he is my favorite player, so I was cool to tell him about that. And, uh, but otherwise, it was pretty cool. I, I hope I didn't sound too giddy or excited over the phone when I was actually interviewing him because I won't lie, I'm still smiling about it. Everything I, I understand, he's a really nice guy. So I, I think that if you, if you played the fanboy role, I don't think he'd hold it against you. So. Yeah, and, man, there was a lot of questions I just really wanted to ask. Uh, but I was like, you know, I, if, if I were in a different position, uh that I had that kind of access, I may would ask him, and 
it really didn't sound like I had any time to ask any kind of off-the-record questions anyway, um, because as soon as we got done with the interview, it was pretty much that guy got back on the phone, and I'm pretty sure he was trying to push Cam through some other stuff too. So, sounded like he was a pretty busy guy. So I didn't, I didn't get to do that. So, yeah, I just try to keep it fairly simple, just simple, uh, simple, easy fan type questions. And it was a pretty good interview. I think I, th- I hope he had a good time with it. So, well, I certainly did. I think that's pr- that's probably the only downside to these promotional interviews that we get offered. I mean, it's it's awesome to to talk to these guys. You talk to Cam Wake. Uh, I I was going to participate in that interview, but Tuesday and Wednesdays are days that are very difficult for me to get away for any uh, somewhat extended period of time. So I'm glad you were able to to get that, and you probably did a yeah, better job then. Well, that was uh, that was the nerve wracking part because everyone I was heading the whole thing up, and I was kind of like, oh, that's uh, not really my strong suit necessarily. I was kind of hoping I was just I, my goal was that you would be there kind of, uh, you know, leading the thing, and I was going to throw some questions out there. And then, so I'm, you know, and then, of course, you couldn't do it, and, and Kevin couldn't do it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm about to develop some questions and come up with some stuff. So it was pretty good, though. Um, yeah. Like I, said, I, could, I, I mean, get on here and talk. And, I, I was going to say, I can get on here and talk and discuss stuff and do that, but actually, like, running the thing like that is not the – not exactly my my speciality, so uh, it, so for throwing that out there, I thought it went, I thought it went well. Um, it had a good flow to it. Um, I pretty much just threw the questions out and got out of his way. That was that was the intention. Let him do all the talking because you know the people that listen to the show hear me enough, so they got to hear. Well, what I was going to say is. Uh... The, the only problem with doing those promotional interviews is that, I mean, you pretty much get a set of time and you're able to, to talk to the, the athlete. And then once the time is up, it's up. I mean, there's, there's no real time to shoot the breeze, maybe get some, like you said, some off the record questions, something so perhaps something you're interested in finding out or something that we've discussed on the show. So, that, I mean, that's the only downside though. I mean, we get a lot of really cool opportunities through, a lot of a lot of these promotions. One of them that that I did, I think it was three years ago, and I never released it because I just didn't think it went that well. Was uh, was uh, when I did that interview with uh, Bob Greasy. I want to say that was on draft day, 2012. So, I mean, we ended up taking Ryan Tannehill that night, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it's as bad as I remember it, but I thought it was a disaster. I mean, it just wasn't good. I mean, it was early. Uh, he was extremely ornery through the entire interview <laughs> to the point to the point where I was just like, you know, can I get you anything? Can I get you a, a spritzer, a coffee, a water, perhaps? <laughs> so, I mean, th- that part of it was was uh, not not so good. I mean, it was great to to talk to someone that I've been, you know, interested in my entire life. You know, always reading books and reading magazines and online articles about Bob Greasy and growing up and hearing about him and whatnot. And I don't know if I just caught him on a bad day or, or whatever, but it just wasn't, wasn't the most positive experience of my life. I can tell you that. So uh, we're just kind of getting ready to, to air this interview. If you want to go ahead and give us a call, 347-326-9461. Uh, we do have the draft coming up. I believe it's in 
was it now? Two, two weeks? weeks? I think it's two weeks from tonight. So that's exciting. You know, and you and I uh, and uh, you and I and our friend Zach have talked a lot on Twitter about this. You know, two years ago, I know you and I were watching a lot of tape. Last year, I was into it a lot, and I watched as much tape as I could. This year, this process has just wore me out. And I think part of it is that in 2012, we kind of pretty much knew who we were going to take. In 2013, it was a shock that we traded up to get Jordan, but we kind of had some ideas who we were going to take. We had it kind of narrowed down. Same thing with last year. We kind of knew, you know, there's going to be a, a tackle in there somewhere. This year, I mean, you could just, you know, you, you could, it, it's like Quill of Fortune. You spin the wheel, and wherever it lands, that's who we're going to pick. I have no clue. I have no read on the team. I mean, the only thing that I would be absolutely, completely hate would be if they drafted a quarterback. But other than that, and, of course, special teams guys, but – you know, cornerback, linebacker, guard, anything, I can understand the reasoning behind it and why they did that. So, I mean, I, I just I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think you need to worry about quarterback. I think you'd be okay. Uh, yeah. It's funny you bring that up. One thing I want to mention before I, I get into this point is imagine if it's like the, the scheduling we had last year and you had to wait until mid-May for this draft. I think most most of us would be going nuts. It's just too long. Yeah, and it's so, so there's just so much information out there. It's it's I mean, you know, it's there's just so much to read good and bad about prospects. And I know we've said I've said this before, but it's like any any one good article you can find about the player you like, you can find another one saying just how bad he is. And there's no there's no better prospect to sum this up than Jalen Strong. You you look at you read about Jalen Strong and you you know, on there, he's completely split down the middle. There's, there's, there's nobody that's kind of like, eh, he's all right. You either like him a lot or you don't like him at all. And, th- and that's kind of how this whole draft process is. He is, he exemplifies that. Yeah, I think he's going to end up coming in the first round. Uh, the funny thing, bringing up this whole discussion, is I saw the the Mel Kiper, the A draft article that he put out today, where he he does draft for all 32 teams and reasons behind it, which, I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of a situational thing. Instead of him just projecting or I mean, whatever he puts out there, that he hears about this stuff from other people. I'm, I'm certain that these teams, especially near the top, are, are willing to give away all of their, their draft secrets and uh, inside information. So he puts this out where he does the entire, or he does, the I think it's the first three rounds for all 32 teams. And it was actually pretty interesting. I found myself liking it more than I thought I would. Uh, the funny thing is, for the Dolphins, I feel like we've been one step ahead of this guy uh, this entire draft season because he took Nelson Aguilar with the 14th overall pick, which I, I thought was interesting. And then he reasoned it, saying that uh, Aguilar at number 14 overall isn't a stretch at this point. It's not a reach, which I thought was interesting because that was what I saw people – spouting off about earlier in the draft season in regards to whenever you hear the Nelson Aguilar talk, well, you can't take him at 14. Just kind of like what we've heard about Jalen Strong. Yeah, you can't take him at 14. Maybe trade down or get him on day two. I have rather certain he's not going to be there on day two. 
this year, I think that more and more people are realizing that Aguilar is, uh, he's not the total package, but he does a lot of things well. And this whole thing for people assuming he's a number one receiver, we, we're not looking for a number one receiver. We're looking for another guy who can do multiple things well and fit into our offense. I don't think well, you're going to find any alpha dog. Yeah, the biggest question with Aguilar has been that I've seen is that can he play on the outside? Most, A lot of people are saying well, he's a slot-only guy. And if he can play on the outside, then he's a good pick. But you're right. He's not the total package. But if Nelson Aguilar was 6'3", he's a top-five pick. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the body size, though. And something you brought up last week, and it's funny because I was going to say it, too, is I like him more than I liked Robert Woods, and I was a big fan of Robert Woods, and I certainly like him more than I like Marquise Lee, and I liked Marquise Lee. I like both those receivers. I understand that people, there's a stigma with USC receivers, or there was. It's starting to the, uh, it's starting to fade a little bit. But I, I liked Aguilar a lot when he was there. He's an outstanding route runner. He's fast. I, I like his game speed. Uh, he's not a, a unbelievable deep threat. Do that for you. I mean, he can go ahead and stretch the field a little bit if you're expecting. I mean, I think Kenny Stills is more inclined to do that kind of work, but I think that Nelson Aguilar can go ahead and stretch the field for you. Uh, I like the the speed he put up at the combine, although I already suspected that he was somewhere in the four fours. And I love his hands. I think that's yeah. an important I, thing. I've read some stuff saying that uh, they consider him to have the best hands in the draft. Uh, Pro Football Focus has, has put out some. Uh, college football focus segment out. They've been doing a lot of stuff on prospects. They said he had a catch rate of, I think, 75 or 76.3%, which falls in line with the stuff that the rest of the stuff Miami's been doing this year, getting guys that are sure-handed and that catch the ball well. So, um, yeah, and, and you're right. He's not. He doesn't have Mike Wallace speed, but he's got he's got enough speed that if you don't honor honor his speed, he will go by you. Um, yeah, he can burn you. I mean, if you don't respect it, he's, he's going to make you pay. And, but I want to hit on something that you said at, uh, right at the beginning was, now people are talking about Nelson Aguilar at 14. They're saying it's not a reach. He's moved into the first round. I've, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, uh, a lot of the draft people are saying, I think they call it big draft, the big draft, ESPN, all those. They're just now catching up to where, a lot of draft Twitter is. If you want to find out good prospects, watch tape on, just follow these guys on Twitter. I mean, they put out a lot of stuff, but, you know, uh, I didn't really think about Nelson Aguilar that much. Saw some stuff about him, started reading about it. And sure enough, you know, now people are catching up to it. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, sometimes I think the fans are a little ahead of the, the big-time boys in that regard. Oh, no doubt. Uh, the the one thing that bothers me about draft Twitter that you mentioned is uh, all the, the Twitter, like the the photos that they have for their handle. Everyone's wearing a suit. That really bothers me. Just go out there and put on like a nice nice polo. Or if you're going to wear a suit, wear something like ice cream colors. Stand out. Be somebody. Be different. That part of it annoys me a little bit. I see these guys, I mean, they look like they work on Wall Street and then in their free time, they go ahead and uh, they do a little bit of advanced scouting. And there's a lot of good people on Twitter. There are some guys I'm not fond of, too. I would never name them by name. 
But there's a couple of guys out there where they put stuff out, and I believe it. I don't think they're trying to further an agenda. I don't think they're making stuff up. That was my issue with React Twitter in the beginning. I thought there was quite a few guys on there who were just making stuff up as they went along. And it's like, well, I mean, I understand that I can I can take what you're saying with grain of salt. The thing about all the kids out there that are interested in the draft, and they hear that, and they believe it, and then they start spraying that information. I mean, this is how it comes out that people are disappointed when we take a I don't know, a Jawan James or someone. Oh, we're not that big a fan of him. We we heard that, you know, he can only play right tackle and he's not that good. Well, he turned out to be outstanding. But he had a lot of people out there who had all this information handed down to them suggesting that he wasn't really going to be that good or that he's a reach. He's a reach at 19. Maybe mm-hmm. he was a reach. But I think you look at that that pick uh, a, year, a year later, and in hindsight, it looks pretty damn good. Yeah. I'm glad we made that selection at 19. And there were some guys I was interested in at 19. I really liked Brandon Cooks. Uh, I think HaHa Clinton Dix was still on the board at that point, if I'm not mistaken. He so, was. Those were the next yeah. two picks, uh, Clinton Dix and Brandon Cooks uh, were the next. I like the next two, I believe. Yeah, I, I was uh, – well, Kelvin Pryor was the guy who went right before. I think he was the 18th pick, if I recall right. So, correctly, I should say. So, but, I mean, you look back on it, and the guy was just a knockout at right tackle. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of wards through the season, but he's a rookie. He's supposed to do that. I'd be concerned if he didn't. So, I mean. Yeah, the term reach needs to be gotten rid of um, because you really don't know. Um, When someone says, well, I think that guy's a reach, then – that means one of two things. Either you have information board of the team that selected him that would suggest that they moved the guy up around. So, for example, let's say uh, Dennis Hickey had Juwan James at, as a third-round pick, but he was the best tackle left on the board and he had to have a tackle. But there's chances are nobody has that information. The other thing it means is you're simply just comparing your board or some other board that you've read or whatever comparing that to the Dolphins board, and you don't know what that is either. So when someone says, well, I think that guy was a reach, my question is, based on what? Did you personally scout? Did you know what the Dolphins board was? Or are you just going off of, you know, Joe Schmo's board here off the Internet? You really don't know if the players are reached. And if Juwan James is off the team in four years, then um, then you can say, yeah, he was a reach because he wasn't that, that good. But, you know, a lot of people were, especially on TV, uh, I think I remember Mike Mayock saying, well, they decided this guy was better than uh, than uh, Cyrus Quanjo or that uh, Xavier Suafila. Uh, and I don't know about Suafila, but Cyrus Quanjo couldn't get on, the, getting it on the field with Buffalo. In fact, a uh, seventh-round rookie started at right tackle over him. So, you know, all these boards had one guy higher, they said, oh, this guy's a reach. Turns out he was much better than the pick that everyone else thought. So just forget the word reach, whoever the Dolphins pick. If it's whoever it is, don't use the word reach because you really don't know that. Well, yeah, it's all subjective. I mean, a reach to maybe five teams, but every board is different, and the guys who put them together are, are all going to have uh, various clashing opinions when it comes to these prospects. It's not like every team puts their board together and they're all in lockstep. So, I mean, just one through 
one through a thousand and one through five hundred, their players are all the same. Some teams are going to value certain positions over others. Some teams are obviously going to value need over best player available and vice versa. So, I mean, I liked it. I just, I really liked that pick. I was impressed with him this year. I was relieved when he, he held up at left tackle because, I mean, I had, I had that, that information in my brain when, when Albert went down and I thought, oh no, you know, James is more suited to the right side. Are we going to get absolutely blown away here? So, uh, and I mean, that really wasn't the case. I mean, he's obviously a natural fit on the right side, but I mean, he, he seems like a really good guy. I mean, when they drafted him, it, he looked like he just wanted to come down to Davy and just run through a bunch of walls for this team. So I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, I thought he's a what hammer. was interesting with him was that after, after the draft process, they were interviewing him, and uh, he, he, I remember him saying that he actually told Coach Fieldman, he's, and, and Dennis Hickey and maybe somebody, he was like, I want to be here. What do I, he's basically saying, what do I need to do to be here? And, uh, I mean, heck, what more can you want? God says, I want to be on this team. Pick me, please. Did he grow up a Dolphins fan? I've never read that that far into it. I know a lot of – I, I don't I mean, think so. I think it was just met. after the visit. He said so it was, he, after it the was visit, really just the, the, the atmosphere and the environment that really, that really spoke to him. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he, he just – he was like he, – he wanted to be here. I mean – I mean, it is it is Miami, and he he played in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, I mean, yeah, depends on what you do. You, what um, you want, but you want to take a call before we do the uh, before we air the interview? Sure, of course you do. Go to the go to the phones. Our first caller of the night. Reveal yourself, caller. Caller, indeed. This is your third musketeer, man. Mm, the third musketeer. Hey, buddy, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Just finished up my show, but I'm not done talking dolphins yet, so I thought I'd join you guys. Oh, yeah. This is Lewis, everyone, in case you're new to the show, which I'm not sure if you, you might be. Maybe you're not a frequent contributor to our, our program. Uh, we're about to air. Uh, Duke Duke uh, had the privilege to hang out with Cameron Wake. They both bench pressed uh, cars on Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, he's a lucky so, uh, son of a gun. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry I missed out on that interview, but uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, just, I mean, it's awfully tough. And when when they pitched the interview time and it was originally Tuesday, I was like, oh no. And then I thought I was going to be able to pull it off, but luckily uh, Duke was able to get it, and I'm sure he did an outstanding job with it. We're going to air that in just a second here. So, um, what do you what do you got on your mind? Have you uh, have you come around to Trey Wayne's yet? Is that what you want to tell us? No, I'm not coming around to Trey Wayne. Bite your tongue. <laughs> and I don't you know if Duke's like laughing in the if Duke's laughing in the back. I'm gonna tell him to stop laughing. I'm, I'm not laughing. Can't help I'm it. Quietly. Yeah. Yeah. Polite. No. Politely with his hands folded, of course. Yeah, I'm gonna bring something up that I'm sure Duke is really gonna enjoy, and I don't know if you guys talked about this lately yet. So, what do you guys think about the whole Twitter firestorm? Can you tell where I'm going yet, or do I have to actually say it? It got, it got uh, me no, Well, so. we're good at reading between the lines, so please do continue. Okay. So, recently, a couple days ago on Twitter, the suggestion was made that maybe we should make a trade. Our first-round pick and our starting quarterback to the San Diego Chargers quarterback. 
Now, I'm going to ask you guys, because I think it's going to be funny to listen to you guys talk about it. What do you guys... Well, personally, I think that anytime you get a chance to trade a young franchise quarterback and a first-round pick for a guy who's been in the league for, I believe, coming on 12 seasons here and uh, has had an inability to stay healthy, I think you make that trade every time. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you? I, I admire your ability to say that with a straight face. Well, you don't know. I, I could be grinning ear to ear right now. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Philip Rivers is a, is a, an outstanding quarterback, but I mean, it's. Are, am I being fair by saying he's probably in the twilight of his career? I mean, am well, I out of line suggesting that? Well, if you look at his numbers, they've pretty much been the same for the past however many years now. So, I I would say no. I would say you're kind of a little underestimating his ability. I mean, I understand. I, 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 as much as I hate the idea, I understand the thinking. You're, you're assuming that Tannehill is not as good as Phillip Rivers, which I'm going to say he's, as a pure quarterback, no, but Tannehill has qualities that make him more versatile than Rivers. But if you want to win right now, then I guess trading for a top 10 quarterback would be um, a good idea. But I don't want Phillip Rivers for two years, and then we have to start over all over again. Ben Tannehill is going to be someone's star quarterback for the next 10 years. So, no, I'm, that, the trade to me is absolutely crazy. Like, even well, considering the possibility is crazy. It's like trading a car with 2,000 miles for a car that's got 165 on it. That but it's a better a car. To me. Uh, but it's a right better now, car. That's the thing. Yeah, right now, that's the point. Is that, is that the argument? That right that's now that the argument I, is that, that right now he's better. All right, well, let's go ahead and break this down further. I wish I could actually hold this debate with the person who pitched it, uh, the guy who will, the Dolphins of Voldemort, who will be, who will not be named. Okay, and just if you guys want to go ahead, I'm just going to pitch a couple of questions. Just give me short answers, yes or no. Actually, is Philip Rivers an ideal fit in Bill Lazor's offense? No. no. Oh, okay. A consensus on that one. Okay. So how many more years do you think Philip Rivers has? Just pitch it. Depends on how well his line does. Four, maybe five, considering how old quarterbacks okay. get before they retire these days. That's five. Fair. I mean, he has taken a beating, though, San Diego. Yeah. I, mean, I would, not, I would not call him an Iron Man by any stretch. All right. Five, my third five. question is, Okay, yeah, we'll, so we'll cap it at five. I think that's fair. Uh, number three is, uh, when has Philip Rivers ever been considered mobile? Never. I don't know. So uh, what are we doing? We, we've got this offense filled up, this get-it-out-quick offense. We really feed off of our quarterback's ability to make things happen in the pocket. He can escape. He can go ahead and uh, he can – oftentimes tear off a nice run or two. It, it just seems like you're because uh, you're training for Rivers, who is at this point a better quarterback. I mean, and that's not to downplay Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers has been an outstanding quarterback in San Diego. I think he's been kind of dealt a cruel hand at times in terms of team personnel and whatnot, and they've struggled to protect him. So in, in that case, 
I mean, he's right in line coming to Miami where they struggle to protect their quarterback. I think they're making yeah. strides in that department, obviously. So, I mean, he'd be taking a similar beating. But it just sounds like you're taking one step forward and then about five steps back. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And what do the San Diego Chargers just laugh at us when Tannehill goes out to the – and if they're able to – actually, I worry about Tannehill because I think that he's got a great relationship with Laser. I think it would be unfair to take that away from him and send him out west and put him in that situation. And, so, yeah, I, and another, not only that, we're getting – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say – I was going to bring up something else. I've, I've actually uh, – I've actually got the – the last few years of the San Diego Chargers uh, seasons up on my screen right now. In 2006, that was when Phillip Rivers took over for Drew Brees. His running back at the time was LaDainian Tomlinson. This is important. Remember this. And he went 14-2 and two in, his, in his first year in San Diego. Then 11-5 and five, the next year, Tomlinson is still his running back. Then the next year he went 8-8. Eight and eight. Tomlinson is still the running back. Then 2009, 13-3, the running back was still LaDainian Tomlinson. Now, here's where it gets interesting. By now, Phillip Rivers is considered a top-10 quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Anybody will tell you that. 2010, 9-7. 2011, 8-8. 2012, 7-9. 2013, 9-7. 2014, 9-7. Those are the five years that they did without LaDainian Tomlinson, their superstar running back. So, I mean, what exa- what results are we exactly looking at here that says that Rivers will function better in Miami? What yeah, makes him a better it. quarterback is what makes him a better quarterback, really. I'm not, and I'm not going to suggest that Tannehill's better than Rivers, which I'm, I'm not going to do that right now. Rivers is still better, but if you're looking at the results of the whole team, exactly what is it that Rivers has done that Tannehill has not been able to do? Make squeeze his way into the playoffs one year because the Dolphins screwed up. Well, you've got to consider the source. I mean, this is a special, special brand of stupid that brings this kind of stuff up. Man. And there's been all kinds. There's been all kinds. Of I was stuff waiting on for Twitter about this. There has been people posting things put out by the same person about well, Tannehill needs to do this. Well, Tannehill did. He surpassed those expectations. Well, the expectations were this, something completely different. He surpassed those. Well, it's got to be this or that. I mean, it's changing criteria, which tells me one thing. That person has it out for Ryan Tannehill. You don't like Ryan Tannehill, just come out and say it. Don't keep beating around the bush. Quit acting like you're better or smarter than everybody else because you're not. That person needs to stay in their lane, and I'm pretty sure that's the comment that got me blocked. Stay uh, in their lane. You're Talk about Oh, yeah, I enjoy it. Stay in your lane, talk about offensive line or defensive line or whatever else. Leave the quarterback talk to those who know what they're actually talking about because you don't. You're the same person who said, the reason you like Colin Kaepernick and Joe Flacco is, and I quote, you heard the ball come off of their hand when they threw it, unquote. That's, that's, that's next-level football right there, next level. <clears throat> Oh, you talk about the it intangibles, all the stupid stuff that just comes out of your mouth. What you're doing is you're trading the guy who is on the up and up, but you don't even admit it is on the up and up, for a guy who may not even be a good fit because you're looking at this in a vacuum. You're not looking at this in a big picture. Plus, you're adding the fact that you've got something against this guy. 
if there was ever a way that you could remotely delete someone's Twitter account, I would absolutely do that. Dolphins, Dolphins fans are becoming more stupid by listening to this kind of crap. If the Dolphins oh, trade Ryan Tannehill for Philip Rivers, it, it would be the mo- one of the most moronic things this franchise has ever done. Why? Not because Tannehill's better now or Rivers is better now. It's because Ryan Tannehill has a future. Philip Rivers does not have much of one left in the NFL. He's got a few year, good years left, and then he's going to be out. It, it, it's just dumb. It, 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 I mean, if what, if what's funny about it is so many people out there proving their points to this guy, showing all the stuff out there that, hey, you know, you have been wrong and continue to be wrong, yet you don't admit it. And yet you act like you're smarter than everyone else in the room. So that's fine. My suggestion is stay in your lane, leave the quarterback talk to others, and get out, get, get out, get out of our life. I love it when Duke I think this. I think Man. this topic went away from Philip Rivers and Tannehill a long time ago. Well, no, I mean it's it's indicative of a larger problem. I mean, we actually we already talked about this earlier. How you get this information put out there? There are people out there who think that Ryan Tannehill sucks and doesn't have much of a future with this team because of what's put out there by some of the beat writers. What the hell is that? I've made this point on Twitter a couple of times. I live in the Chicago area. Jay Cutler uh, doesn't get beat up by the Chicago media the way Ryan Tannehill gets beaten up by South Florida. I stand by that that comment, and believe me, Chicago media does not like Jay Cutler, and he gets it. He's got a better a better deal from them right now. So I mean, I don't understand it because it's not like you look at Ryan Tannehill and think, oh yeah, he looks like kind of a a jerk. I mean, it's just it's it's driven by an agenda. And that's my biggest exactly. problem with it. And it, it it's is not so, anything tell out there. It's so fake. It, it's also yeah, fake. It, I mean, you sit here and say, well, people, well, he needs he needs this kind of a pass rating. Well, he does that. Well, no, he needs to throw for this many yards. Well, he does that. Well, he needs to do this. You can't keep changing your criteria. You say, this is what Ryan Tannehill needs to do. When he does that, give him props for it. If you still don't like him after that, just admit it. The problem is the person that's saying all this stuff is, spearheading all of this garbage, thinks he knows more about football than just about everyone else. And what's funny about it is when you watch people on Twitter who actually know about football, they will just absolutely blister this guy, just lay into him with, with knowledge. And what happens? They either get blocked or they get written off or otherwise just ignored uh, or whatever. It you know So, you know, that's what I tell fans. If you if you want good information, go to the fan site. Go to the fan site. Or go to these other sites, too. Read those. The fan site are first. Then maniacs. But then read those other ones. Because you're going to get people who actually care about the team. See, that's the thing. You know, as much as I would love to talk to Cam Wake about all these controversial issues, I'm just a fan. And I'm not going to – I don't get the same kind of access that these writers do. And part of that is these people do this for a job. I mean, they write about the Dolphins for a living. The same as, you know, uh, people, you know, uh, building houses or doing taxes or whatever it is that you do. That's what they do. So when you when you go in and you, you talk to these people and you put this stuff down day after day, it becomes a chore to you. But the person in question already said that he's not a fan of the team. He's just doing it for work. So, I mean... 
but you treat the fans, the people who are supposed to be reading your garbage, like garbage. You act like you're, you know, listen to me because I know more than you because I'm a writer. It, I don't know. It just blows my mind. So I'm glad I'm blocked because I don't have to put up this crap anymore. Well, dear, well that's why I'm here, to let you everybody know what he's saying. Thank you. And we need that pipeline. For everybody <laughs> out there, go follow Lewis on Twitter because he will be at training camp, and he will give you detailed reports on training camp so you don't have to listen to these other morons that try to give you information. Well, thanks for the plug, I guess. I knew this would be fun. I, 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 I knew this would be fun to ask about. Yeah, let me let me let me throw something else out there. There was an article that was written today or whenever about this, and it was on their site. And on the article, they were talking about the offensive line, drafting an offensive lineman, because that's going to take the offense to the next level. And it said, "Well, fans are saying that Tannehill can't throw the deep ball because he doesn't have time." And then in parentheses, even though he throws in he throws in practice without pressure. He's still not very accurate. I'm like, that is not important, they even say. That is just simply throwing a dig in because you can. It is lousy, rank amateur journalism. If he could be traded to any other team, no one would take him. You couldn't, you couldn't pass that off on anybody. But if you could get rid of him, I think they would be rejoicing in Miami. I'll put it out on Twitter. I think the Dolphins need to get one of those banners that say, instead of, say, Fire Ireland. Put a band that says fire him and let them fly that around the stadium. Ooh. Yeah, and the funny thing is, and you probably thought I was going to be the one ranting. I'm usually good for that. Not tonight. This is no, I knew Duke was – he was he was going off with me, uh, with uh, everybody who was talking about it with me on Twitter, and it's like, oh, Duke's going to go nuts when I ask him this on the show. See, I, I don't even like, – What have I unleashed? So I, don't really, I don't really care. I've done, I did myself a, a great service a long time ago by not following this garbage. But the problem I have is I've never heard of a team make make its personnel decisions based on what its local beat writer wants. That's unprecedented. And the fact that you – I'm under the impression there are some people on Twitter who would be okay with it. People, if you hear this and you actually agree with that, just hit yourself in the face. That's ridiculous. It's the worst I, I, thing I've ever heard. I'll give you a perfect example. When you follow his timeline, if you've all, you've all seen those trailers for the new Paul Bort movie, you know that scene where he takes off running and he smashes into the glass window and falls down? That's what reading his timeline is like. I feel like every time I read it, that's what my brain does. It's ridiculous. Uh, that's an incredible... Uh, wow. I, I just... I, then I, well, now that I see that, that commercial, I'm going to... Uh, associate what you just said with uh the hand. Anyway, so we got one more caller. I really want I do want to get to this interview. I also want to hear what you guys have to say. So if you can uh actually look at this next caller on here. Uh hello, who are we talking to? Uh Dolphin fan for life. Uh hey buddy, what's going on? Uh, not so much. Uh laid up in the hospital getting some X rays done and whatnot, but Never missed. Oh, what, what happened to you, man? Yeah. Uh, allergic reaction, face swelled up, and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. He didn't check the timeline. That's what happened. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he 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 caught something in the corner. 
<laughs> yeah, he, he checked the timeline and smacked into the glass. That's what happened. <laughs> probably. The glass corner. Yeah, probably. Um, we're, uh, I think right now I'd like to uh, do, or I'd like to air Duke's interview with uh, Cam Wake. Are you guys good with uh, hanging out for the next 15 minutes or so? Uh, Duke, anything you want to say before we go ahead and get this out there? Uh, no, nah, man, I'm good. I, I've said all I need to say tonight. Okay. Big words from a big man. This is uh, this is Duke sitting down in the 60 Minutes interview with uh, Cameron Wake. Enjoy, everyone. Now, welcome to a special edition of the Insider Radio. This is your co-host, Chris Early. Uh, our regular host, Keith, was unavailable today. Uh, so uh, I'm doing this uh, special show today. On the line, we have a man who needs no introduction among Dolphin fans, uh, Dolphin superstar and pass rusher extraordinaire Cameron Wake. Cameron, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, always glad to have you on the phone. Um, first question, and this is the question all Dolphins fans really want to know, how many sacks are you going to get this year playing beside Indama Kinsu? <laughs> uh, well, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have another guy like him on, on the in defensive room. Um, you know, really excited about, you know, the things that are coming this this upcoming season. Um, getting to the quarterback, something that we've spoken about, actually, uh, something that we both would really enjoy doing. So, I mean, the sky's the limit, you know, and I think that that's what's going to be really exciting about buying this off season and making sure this upcoming season is a, a one not to remember. Oh, yeah, I know Dolphins fans are excited about that prospect. And I'm, I'm sure you've done plenty of interviews since Sue was signed. Uh, give us a little bit about that. How much did you talk with him whenever he first signed. I know you can't really talk until the names are on the lines or whatever, but, you know, when, when exactly did you first talk to him after he became a Dolphin and, and things like that? Well, it was probably a matter of hours. Um, after he signed a deal, that uh, that afternoon, that evening, we actually went out to dinner, you know, him and I and a couple other Dolphins, and we just sat down and, uh, you know, did a little one-on-one getting to know each other, and, uh, you know, we were both you know, mutually excited to be Playing alongside one another, and uh, you know, like I said, it was a lot of uh, a lot of just you could feel the energy in the room, you know, um, from his family, um, some other dolphins, you know, guys from the organization were there, and just you know, it was just a good feeling to to you know go into that situation and looking forward. Um, I'm really excited about it. Oh, that is wonderful. One uh, one thing I want to talk about is if if we were to put on game tape of Cameron Wake, the first thing that we're going to notice is a perfectly executed rip move. Um, it is probably one of the best in the NFL, if not the best. Tell us about how you came to develop that move. I know I've read your story. Most often fans are familiar with your story that you came you know, from the Canadian Football League. When did you first start to become a pass rusher? When did you develop that particular move that has made you so dominant in today's NFL? Um, well, there's probably a lot of things that go into that, but um, I think my time in the CFL was one of the key factors in, you know, creating, you know, the guy that you guys see on Sunday. You know, not just from a, a technical standpoint on the field, but the mentality, you know, that I had, you know, when I started up there and in, in my mind literally being the last chance I had to, to play the game I love and, and that fire that burned inside of me of all the people who told me I'd never make it and so on and so forth, that that chip, I guess, that people call it. Some people call it a chip. I call it a fire. But that chip on my shoulder from those days, um, you know, it began up there. But technically, um, people who don't know in the CFL, 
there's a neutral zone that's a yard. So if you're here in the NFL, you can crowd the ball as much as you possibly can as long as you don't cross the plane. But up there, there's a yard between you and the football. So if you can imagine you're even that much further away from, you know, the offensive linemen and also the quarterback. So you really have to make sure you, you know, take advantage of those opportunities and get to the quarterback as much as you can. Also, it's only, you know, three-down football up there where it's four-down football down here, so you don't get as many chances. So, you know, getting to that quarterback is really a, really a prime, prime piece of real estate up there. And, you know, that passion is what came, you know, in, into that rip or that, that bull rush or whatever you see on Sunday. So it all probably started back then. All right, good deal. I know I've talked a lot on our side about your first step and how it's one of probably the best in the NFL as far as getting off the line. And so I can understand that. I've watched a little Canadian football, and I've seen that, you know, that zone you're talking about there. So, yeah, that's a – you know, that's – that having that great first step and, and that technicality is good as far as getting that quarterback and as well as the passion as you mentioned. I have a couple of questions from some of our uh, folks on the site. They want to talk a little bit about player development uh, that you've seen. A couple of players that were mentioned were uh, fellow members of the defensive line, uh, Olivier Vernon and Dion Jordan. I know amongst Dolphins fans, there's a lot of questions about Dion Jordan, about him not having as much playing time as, as they would like to see. Just tell us a little bit about what you've seen from those two young guys in the uh, in the locker room and on the practice field as far as them developing into uh, top-tier pass rushers. Well, um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned those two guys because those two guys are guys that have that thing, you know. And, and when I say that thing, I mean it's, it's, it's difficult to play a defensive end in the NFL for anybody, but for guys who are quote-unquote hybrids or undersized or whatever, you know, terminology you want to use for us, you know, that 250, 60-pound defensive end. Every time you step on the field, you're going to get somebody who weighs 80, 90 pounds more than you do. And you can't be shy. You can't be timid. You have to have that, that, that pit bull mentality when you step on the field. And, you know, those two guys from the very first moment they stepped onto the facility, the campus that we have down here in Davie, um, you could see that they, they had no, no quit in them. And that's the only way you can be successful at that position. And both Olivier and Dion, you know, are guys who never back down from a challenge. They're always working hard on and off the field. And those are the things you're going to need to be successful in this league. And both of those guys have it. And you've already seen flashes of it from both of them. And I'm definitely looking for, you know, more good things in the future for him. All right. And uh, last season, the Dolphins drafted Juwan James with the first round pick. Uh, he plays right tackle, and you line up at left end, which you faced him a lot in practice. Tell us a little bit about how that went. I mean, we we read a lot from the reporters and stuff that were reporting at training camp. What did you see from him that showed, that could tell fans that he is the answer at that position? Well, he's another guy who, um, you know, it's always you know fun for me when you have guys who come in as, as draft picks or, or guys who I can actually, you know, literally and officially put my hands on, you know, and I, I, I had opportunity from obviously Dion Jordan who, you know, I was my locker partner in my in my room. We lifted together, we did, you know, things on the field, but also with with Joan James who, you know, he wasn't in my room, but a guy who literally every time we were on the field we were going against one another and I got an opportunity to, you know, do my best to kick his butt. I'm sure he was trying to kick mine and, you know, after after practice or after whatever session, you know, we were doing and practice was over you know, he was a guy who would come up to me and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or, or how did you do that? 
or what if I do this instead of that, and, and kind of bouncing ideas off of one another, and I do my best to give him, you know, whatever wisdoms and tricks and the trade I've gathered over my time playing, and, you know, for him to do the same um, to help me out when I'm, you know, going against guys on Sunday, you know. So we, we've definitely done our best to kick each other's butt, you know, during the week, so on Sundays, you know, hopefully he's looking across at the guy and say, hey, you know, he, he's nowhere near the kind of, Day, give me the kind of day that I had to practice with Cameron Wake and uh, make Sundays much easier for him. Okay. Uh, I remember reading a, a couple of years ago about a, a story about Patrick Willis and how in his rookie season he tried to tackle Edger and James, and when they collided, he said he kind of had, he realized at that moment that this was a man's league and that he needed to kind of step it up a little bit. What was your welcome to the NFL moment? Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's it's probably my first game in Atlanta. Um, you know, like like we spoke briefly, I was in the CFL. Um, I had gotten two Player of the Year awards, Rookie of the Year. You know, and coming off of I don't know, the twenty something sack season, and to come down to the NFL at that time. You know, the two starting outside guys were Jason Taylor and Joey Porter. And, you know, the first game I came to the locker room, was, I was excited about you know, my first actual real regular season NFL game. We're playing Atlanta in Atlanta, had family at the game, so on and so forth, and came to the game and realized that I was inactive. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't even going to dress for the game. And that was, that was kind of a, a slap, a wake-up call, whereas, hey, you know, they don't. It doesn't. Nobody cares about what you did in the CFL. Nobody cares about what you did in college. You know, this is the man, the best of the best. And in order for you to be, you know, even considered to even put on NFL uniform, um, you know, you have to bring your A game day in and day out. And you know, that was, I guess, my kind of snap into reality that, you know, that you're talking about that Jason Taylor and Joy Porter of the world are on every team, and to be. You know, anything but the best is not going to make it. So, um, of course, from then on, I, I stepped up my stepped up my game to the best of my ability, and uh, I haven't looked back since. So, I think everybody has it, and that was mine. And Dolphins fans are certainly glad that you stepped up that game because you have developed into a a star player in the league and one of our favorite team. One more question before we get to uh, uh, the reason for the call is, you know, that. Um, all players, you know, fans look at them. They're football players. We see them with the pads and helmets on. But what are some of the things that interest you outside of football? And then, you know, at some point, you're going to want to retire from the NFL. What What do you plan to do after that? Uh, well, you know what? I, I was I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, be brought up the way I was. Both of my parents, you know, are, are huge support systems for me from the from the time I was a youngster before, long before I even started playing football, back when I was playing soccer and and doing, uh, <laughs> I was in choir and, and doing all the things, extracurricular things I was doing as far as, as well as my school work and staying on top of me to make sure that, you know, you get your work done first and you can play second. And they've been a huge support system for me. And, you know, all, all throughout my career I've been able to, you know, in my mind, make the right choices, you know, from back way back when, you know, <laughs> seems like way back, back in college and, and going to class, making sure I get my degree, you know, graduating first, make sure I have that set and, and then go on, quote, unquote, to play as I did. And and, I, and being able to fall back on 
the things that you enjoy. You know, I really enjoy traveling the world, you know, spending time with my family, um, you know, doing a little bit of investing, you know, business, and also recently, you know, doing some broadcasting, you know, being able to get on the other side of the camera and maybe, you know, speak to guys, you know, as far as from that, that standpoint. So, you know, I've had a lot of interest. I've had a, a great support staff at the Dolphins to, you know, prepare guys to make sure when they do stop playing they're ready and, uh, you know, being able to do, you know, what you want instead of what you have to. And I think that, that comes from making right decisions all along the way. And, uh, you know, I keep my fingers crossed if that continues. And when I'm done, you know, I'll be able to make that decision. Well, of course, we have plenty more years left to play for the Dolphins for us. You mentioned you sang in choir, so the natural question after that is, do you still sing? <laughs> I, I I do, but probably not as not as not as publicly as uh you know, as I used to. But um, you know, it it was something that I enjoyed doing and I still probably you know, you catch me in the car on a you know, Sunday afternoon or in the shower, I'm I'm still getting after it. But um obviously much not not as much uh for everyone else, more for myself. <laughs> All right, so well we wanna talk about the reason for the interview. It says you partnered with Parker and Gamble in Publix ahead of this year's NFL draft. Tell us what that's about and what's going on there. Well, you know, it, it, it's been a great partnership, you know, because um, just as, as Parker and Gamble and Publix are, you know, every other products are the solution for all your household needs, you know, we're really looking forward to this year's draft, you know, as one of the prospects can be the solution for our, our needs on the field. And, um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've reached out on Twitter you know, to all the fans to say, hey, listen, you know, we've had we have the best fans in the NFL, the most passionate, you know, really supportive. Just for them to have an opportunity to just say, hey, what do you think our our biggest need is? What position is uh, the biggest need for the draft this year? And just you know, at me, my my Twitter handle is at KOLD91, and just giving us their opinion. And uh, I'm also into the, the tackle everything sweepstakes with Procter and Gamble and Publix, and, uh, you know, they can some, win some really cool draft-related related prizes. And um, it, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and it's still, you know, still going on. Do you get kind of caught up in the draft process? I mean, I don't know how much players actually put into it, but I know a lot of fans, that's all over Twitter right now, and it's going to stay that way until the draft happens on April 30th. So is that something you've kept up with? What do you think, uh, you know, I've seen those those uh, those the tweets that you put out there, what do you think is a position that the Dolphins could address in the first round that would help the team out? Well, I'm always a fan of, of you know, helping out the team in any way to improve, no matter what it is. And obviously the draft is always a very large part of, you know, our improvement. I mean, if you think about last year, the rookies that came in, you know, from Landry to Juwan, I mean, you think about all the guys who made really big plays and key moments in the game and really helped our team be a better team. Um, every year you have the, the, the opportunity to to improve again. So, like like I said, with this this uh, you know this partnership with uh, PG and Publix, it's been tremendous to get all the feedback. I mean, it's obviously Twitter and giving an opportunity for the fans to interact one on one and get and voice their opinion. Um, it, it's been it's been tremendous. So, um, who we're going to take? You know, obviously that's way above my pay grade, but it's always uh, a good to see. You know, all the fans being able to, to you know let us know what what their opinions are. And uh, I know you're a Penn State alum, and there's several prospects in the draft that we're looking at. Is it? Is there anyone that you kind of caught your eye that you kind of vouch for 
uh, she'd say, hey, this guy will really help our team out the best. Well, you know, I'm I'm always a guy. I'm I'm, I'm un, <laughs> trying to be unbiased, but I'm always a defensive guy. I'm always, you know, a guy who wants to see somebody out there, kind of like we spoke about guys before, like the, uh, the Olivier Vernon, the Deion Jordan, the guys who have that, that you know, never say die mentality. And, you know, I think that can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to be a D-lineman. It could be, you know, safety. It could be a corner. Guys who go out there and, and compete are going to, you know, every day of practice are going to make it harder for the guys on the other side of the ball, whatever position they play, to do their job so that on Sunday their job is easier. So, you know, not to be too specific about any one person, but for sure that person, whoever he is, has to have, uh, you know, tremendous work ethic because we're going to work down here in South Florida. And obviously that, that never say die in reality, um, you know, the help with the brotherhood is definitely going to be a, a necessity. All right, this, well, this is Chris from Finside Radio, and we have been talking with Cameron Wake, superstar defensive end from the Miami Dolphins. Cameron, we thank you for your time today. Thank you for calling in and joining our show. We look forward to seeing a lot of big plays from you, from both, uh, from both you and Sue and the defense this year. We're really looking forward to it. Well, it's truly been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, definitely we'll get after it this year for sure. Things up. Nice job. Yeah, nice job, Thank Duke. Yeah, I don't know how many other reporters have ever asked Cameron Wake if he still sings. So, you know, I got oh, that was there. clever. We um trying to look at how, about how much time we got. Uh, we'll maybe do about 15 more minutes. Uh, we've got a pretty full slate going on here in terms of uh, our usual callers. Are you guys okay if we uh, we take a guest caller since technically you guys are well, really you're a part of the show at this point. So, actually, yeah. what do I care? I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to take the caller. If you don't like it, I'll mute you. Uh, Bring it I'm on. I'm really certain we're, we're going to South Carolina with this call. You're on the air. Hey, man, how's it going? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing good. I tell you what, I enjoy listening to your show. I look forward to listening to it every week. I appreciate y'all uh, making it available for me. That's the least we can do. Did you did you yeah, uh, hear Duke's inter- interview with uh, Cam Wake? What'd you think? I tell you what, man, that's one of the most classiest guys in the NFL. You could tell that man has been through a lot of diversity and has come through it. You don't hear a lot about it, but uh, I tell you, man, we couldn't have a more classier guy on our team than Cameron Wake. I mean, I'm I'm just so excited this year to see him going and playing against the with, with the Dominican Sue, Earl Mitchell, you know, uh, Oliver Vernon, all of them cats. I mean, I I really feel strong about our defense this year, man, and uh, he's going to help out a lot. Yeah, I'm expecting good things. Yeah, he just he sounds like a really sharp, put together guy. So I, I'm glad that Duke had an, had uh, an opportunity to sit down with him. I'm glad that Duke asked him a bunch of questions that weren't, uh, you know, like softball type questions. You know, he actually got in there and asked him stuff that he wanted to wanted answers to. So that's refreshing as well. I feel like it's too easy to yeah. ask these guys questions. If you, if you listen to if you listen to Cameron Blake, he he epitomizes the the idea of the switch. Real calm yeah. guys on the phone sounds like a just a regular gentleman and on the field he is a monster. Just yes. That's cool. 
Yeah, and the thing about it is, you know, he brings that veteran uh, experience with him. And I, I know Cam's, he, he's, uh, Cameron oh, Wake, he's real hungry to uh, get a Super Bowl ring himself. So that, that helps out a lot as far as him being there with the other younger guys that we got coming up behind him. And, uh, man, I tell you, I, I'm looking excited towards it. Let me ask you this much. Uh, so have y'all's draft prospects changed any? Uh, I don't think feel so. like... I think that in a lot of a lot of ways we've we've come close to locking in the people we we want to see with that that number fourteen pick. I mean, if if it's a receiver, I, I think we're comfortable with going with a guy like Aguilar. I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone here. I know Duke feels that way. He and I have confirmed as much. Um, I mean, there's if if we go out of left field, you know, if we take an offensive lineman. I don't have a problem with that. I know some people would. Um, if we're, I don't have a problem. We talked about this last week, but I don't have a problem if we take Danny Shelton if he's somehow available. I understand that there are other pressing needs, but I mean, you can't tell me that the, the prospect of absolutely eliminating the inside run this year isn't an intriguing uh, idea. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's the, well, so, it's the- it's the temptation of a luxury pick there that makes it so hard to ignore. You you look at a Danny Shelton and you picture him next to Indomit King Sue and you kind of get all excited and you start to feel warm and fuzzy inside of the idea of Tom Brady hitting the ground every other play. And the same kind no of idea goes with, with the kind of idea goes with a guy like a girly at 15 who a lot of people compare with Adrian Peterson and even Marshawn Lynch and actually the idea of Comparing him to Lynch makes me feel better than comparing him to Peterson because you see what Marshawn Lynch does with the Seahawks, and you can see what kind of a player Russell Wilson becomes without Marshawn Lynch available. So if you, it, the luxury pick idea, it, it's tempting for sure, but you have to imagine that um, that you need to take care of the needs first before you can go luxury. Yeah. Unless you really believe I, that the luxury pick is something that's going to make the team way better really fast. Well, I'm going, I'm going to go yeah. a different direction with that because I read a tweet. Uh, I, I put out a tweet, tweet. I was reading something from a Monday Morning Quarterback uh, site, and they were talking to, uh, I think it was the Steelers GM and the Ravens assistant GM or something like that. Anyway, the guy from uh, Pittsburgh said they try to go into every draft and eliminate the term need and replace it with want. And I believe in that wholeheartedly. You don't go into the draft necessarily with needs or drafting for needs. Yes, you're going to do that, but to me, the draft is about getting players you want. And if you want a, for example, let's say you're sitting there at 14 and you view um, Danny Shelton as an elite defensive tackle that's going to make your defensive line impenetrable. But you need another position, say a cornerback. But you don't really like those cornerbacks. What do you take? Is it really a luxury pick if you're taking a player that you believe is elite the position or can be elite the position instead of drafting maybe a lesser prospect with a need? Now, the good thing for this year for the Dolphins is they have needs, but some of their needs also kind of mesh with some of the wants that would probably be available at 14. So. I'm I'm still into that whole idea of the luxury pick simply because I believe the draft is where you get that's your wish list. That's what you want. 
you know, do you need a running back? Maybe not. Is there a guy that can be elite? Well, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm all about solidifying the line. I, I just want to see Ryan Tannehill stand up and have enough time to throw a deep ball, to to have enough time to read all the receivers. You know, I'm tired of excuses. And, and if that's a luxury pick, then I think we should go that route. And then I still say we need us a good, hard, stand-up running back. And I tell you what, you know, South Carolina man, I still think Mike Davis is, is pretty good running back himself uh, as far as like a second-round pick or something like that. But if we don't have a good guard in the first round and if we can't trade out, then let's pick up Gurley or or, or, or uh, whoever we can. But right now I feel like a lot of people underestimating Jamal Taylor and Will Davis and uh, them guys in our secondary. I mean, man, with our defense just in itself when the Dama can sue, is going to bring. That's why they're paying this man so much money. I know a lot of people's tired of hearing his name, but that man's going to bring so much more to to our defense. As far as uh, it's going to allow our, our our DBs and stuff to to have an extra, you know, uh, or not have as much time. It's going to make things faster. And I think I think uh, with times and and uh, with Jamal Taylor, Will Davis. And the few guys, you know, Bryce McCain, the guys that we have picked up, I think we've saw, you know, solidified our defense. And if we go anywhere as far as picking defense in the first round, then I feel like we would be going to a luxury pick. I mean, what, I'd like what would y'all think to the offense? I think well, the the Gurley scenario is an intriguing one because I mean the hype is there. We saw him play at Georgia. So we're inclined to believe that hype because he looked outstanding when he was there. So if yeah. if you buy that the, the ACL surgery has gone has and the rehabilitation has gone as planned, and it's not going to be a hindrance moving forward, uh, that's a major coup, in my opinion. What what you're bringing yeah. into into that offense then because you're you're getting that type of back in an offense that already has a lot of promise with Tannehill, the mobility he brings, the accuracy he brings, uh, and the upgraded receiver core that we're starting to see. So that's an interesting one. Uh, the How about the kid from kinda... – Go ahead. How about the kid from Wisconsin, the running back from Wisconsin? How, well, you know, I, I like man, Melvin I've Gordon. Seen... I, like... I like him a lot, actually. I think that uh, – He's likely to be I, – I think Gurley and Gordon are going to go in the first round. I, th- I think that Gurley's going to prove irresistible some, to some team, perhaps it, maybe in, even in the top 15. I don't know. Uh, I know he's that good. Gordon, I, I like Melvin Gordon a lot. Uh, he's, you know, major speed for a guy that size. I think he probably goes late round one. What I was going to say about uh, the whole Aguilar thing, though, is that sort of alters our discussion because Shelton came up last week as a result of us talking about the the big three receivers being off the board. And I, not that we're fans of Rashad Perryman, but, I mean, he's in a lot of mocks of look at as the fourth receiver. So you have four receivers off the board. You have Waynes, which uh, Lewis is okay with. 
And then uh, at that point, I get like Sheriff off the board. So now you're looking at available prospects. And at that point, if you're not considering Aguilar at number 14 and Danny Shelton's there, Danny Shelton enters the conversation and you can make a strong case for him. I think that Lewis brought it up too, that the idea of, of Shelton playing next to Indomitian Sue is uh, tantalizing to say the least. Because, I mean, just, I mean, that is just such an unbelievable roadblock for, for every team that plays the Dolphins. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, we look at it as that as far as draft, you know, draft prospect as far as looking at it. But, you know, what about Earl Mitchell? What about Fade and uh, the rest of them other guys, man? I mean, we're going to see, a, a, a you know, a, a big improvement from them guys in itself you know, than what we've ever seen before. So, once again, you know, it's defensive That other defensive end, defensive tackle position is going to be a rotation. Um, that you can just count on. So, it's going to be Mitchell and whoever else is going to play play that spot. They're looking at playing uh, Sue at three-tech, which – in Detroit, he played. He kind of switched between one two tech and a three tech, um, almost an even split. Then, uh, if he's playing a three tech, then you're going to need a one tech, which that's what Earl Mitchell plays. But if you bring in a guy like Danny Shelton to play that one tech position, you change the dynamic because, I mean, Earl Mitchell's a pretty good one tech. He, he's going to he's going to do some good things. But, and I like the Earl Mitchell signing. But if you you bring in a guy like Shelton who is going to be potentially dominant at that one-tech position. A lot of people are making, as far as body type and other types of comparisons, to uh, Vince Wilford. So, I mean, you, you, you just changed the complete dynamic. I mean, at some point you've got three guys on the interior to block those two guys. So it's a, it's a, it's a pick-your-poison kind of deal for offensive coordinators. And, uh, you know, that – that changes a lot of aspects, too, because, I mean, we talk about Sue opening up things for guys like Cameron Wake and Burton, but the same thing could happen if you had a guy like Shelton because he's going to open up things also for, like, the linebackers and things like that as well. So, And I'll throw out there another it's pick that's it's possible at 14 is Green Beckham. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, a no. one. Uh, Green Beckham. Yeah, not a big fan. We can have. I know you're not. Uh, Marty? <laughs> Yes. Green uh, we actually uh, only have a couple of minutes left uh, in our show, so um, if it's okay, we're, we're going to move on to our next segment, but uh, I hope you'll call in again next week. I always love hearing from you. Yes, sir, and I appreciate you having me, man. If there's any way, uh, if you could put me like on hold where I can still hear the rest of your show, that'd be great, man, because I always seem to lose it when I hang up with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that for you. All right. Thank you, buddy. You have a good one. You too. Thank you. All right. Hopefully, hopefully he's able to hear the rest of the show. Yeah, the Green Beckham thing. uh, His route running is what bothers me the most. Uh, I realize that there's elite potential in in that guy. There's some things he does that you just. I mean, what's the cliche? You just can't teach. But I just if if I'm really looking for most things for the Bucks, number fourteen, it's going to be hard to talk me out of Aguilar. I really like him. Uh, the Shelton thing I want to bring up that Duke also mentioned is I believe it's 
he would make it easier for us to flip between a 3-4 and 4-3 front and that that guy would have an absolute lock on the 0-1 type positions. I think if you want to flip between those two schemes, he brings you total scheme diversity. But, but I mean, it's also something where it's a luxury pick. And if you bring him in, I mean, you have a world of, uh, of depth uh, along the defensive interior. But I also urge people to think outside the box on this one because there's a time where the Seattle Seahawks were acquiring all these five-tech size guys for their 4-3 defense and people couldn't understand what they were doing. And then it turned out that, that was the, that was the uh, sort of birth of the, uh, the Leo scheme in Seattle where they'd go ahead and they would just overload one side of the line with these five tech size defenders. And then they, they would go ahead and line up at the time, Chris Clemens, they put him in a wide ninth stand and go ahead and, and, and rush him out wide, which is an incredibly unorthodox thing to do, but it works when you have that, that mass on the other side of the defensive line. So, I mean, there's, I mean, if you can think outside the box, there's plenty of great things we could do with these guys. I do think that Danny Sheldon is almost like a worst-case scenario guy, which is weird to call him that because for a while there, it didn't think it didn't look like he was even going to get out of the top ten. I mean, you heard Chicago as a prime suitor for him. I know Cleveland's getting a lot of attention uh, as a team that could possibly use his services. So, I mean, it's it's exciting to go through these scenarios, but I feel like these scenarios are starting to thin out a little bit as we get closer to the draft and we get a better idea of what exactly we want with that selection. And it, and it seems shocking to me that Gurley has stuck around for so long. And not only has the possibility of Gurley stuck around, it seems to have intensified as okay. time goes on. It's, it's, it hasn't just, like, been one of those, oh, maybe we'll get this guy, maybe we'll get this guy. Either it's, like, a smokescreen like no other, or the Dolphins are really considering the idea of Todd Gurley. And I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be, like, I'm not going to be jumping off the walls if Gurley is the pick, but I'm not going to rage either. It's kind of one of those, you know, whatever. Let's kind of – we know we, we, we know what Gurley is capable of. Let's kind of move on and see what we do with the second pick. I'm really not – I really don't know how to feel about this draft because we're in the middle of the pack, and there's not a whole – there isn't a whole lot of elite talent available unless somebody decides to suddenly just fall to right to us, and I don't see that happening. It really does come down to – what do you consider the biggest home run just for the Dolphins? And everybody has their own per- personal interpretation. Some people are saying that it's going to be Shelton because you want to keep the defensive line uh, more and more scary. Some people are saying cornerback because Brent Grimes is not going to be a superstar forever. They don't like Jamar Taylor. Some people are saying running back because they want the Marshawn Lynch thing that Gurley provides. And some people are saying wide receiver because we need more weapons for Tannehill. Everybody has their own personal interpretation of what is the best possible pick the Dolphins can make. And considering the fact that we're in the middle and we're not sure who's even going to be available to us to begin with, it's very hard to make that dissension because you don't know who's going to be there. So who is the best possible pick based on the talent that's available? And one thing about all of that is you hear this is the time of the season – of the draft season for smoke screens. You hear the Dolphins bringing in receivers, bringing in, talking about Todd Gurley, all the stuff. Who's the names that aren't being thrown out there? Shelton, guys like Sheriff, Collins, some of these names that are could be surprise picks that they may have their eye on. So, you never know. Collins has my interest. 
I think he's a guy that a little bit of a sleeper pick at number 14, but I do like him. Yes, and one thing that will freak out, one thing that will freak out fans uh, if they draft him is he's going to play guard because of Brandon Albert, but you don't draft him there to play guard. They're looking at him as a long-term left tackle prospect as well. Oh, yeah, he's an eventual successor, you know, and I thought he played that position well. I understand that some people have have an issue with his skill set. I do not. I think that he would be a, a pretty much a hat-in-hand type uh, fit in terms of what we do uh, on the, the offensive line. So you're not going to find me complaining about it. I wouldn't complain about Gurley either. I thought about uh, a home run hitter like Gurley in the backfield when we've got this young, uh, on-the-rise offense and we're starting to, you know, we've added these you get your pass catchers like Jordan Cameron, and we've got Kenny Stills in there. You know, I mean, it looks a lot different, but we've added size, we've added route running ability, and I'd like, and I, I mean, let's be honest, by by getting rid of Wallace and bringing in Stills, uh, we've uh, also brought uh, sure hands to the table. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone can dispute that. So okay, so let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you guys this. Let's kind of take a different approach to it. We've already talked about who we wouldn't complain about. So let me ask, who would you complain about if the pick was made at 14? I think everybody's underestimating the girly pick. I think people don't re- people are going to remember halfway through the season after they see somebody else do a little bit better and he's not on the field yet. They're going to take a look at that and compare it to Deion Jordan, who – as yet to see the field and everything else, and people are going to like it right now, but they're going to hate it by midseason when it seems like our first-round pick isn't going to hit the field. Yep. Well, so nobody has any patience anymore. Remember, didn't you used to have to wait three years to decide if someone was a bust? Now it takes three months. Now it's decided before that guy even gets on the field. I mean, so I I, I think it's not. Go ahead. That's not who I'm going to complain about. All I know is I'm going to complain about the headache come midseason because people are going to be like, oh, God, Hickey is um, Jeff Ireland 2.0. We got another Deion Jordan on our hands. We can't even get one of our first-round draft picks on the field right now. Now we got a second one. People are always talking about how first-round picks need to be an immediate impact guy. That's what everybody's been saying. Even though some of us have been preaching three years, it's kind of like they're flip-flopping through the thing. They see the chocolate, and they don't realize it's a turd yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's so, but, okay, so we know that Dolphin Fan for Life is pretty <laughs> much just saying he's not going to complain about our prospects so much. He's just going to complain about the headaches if the first player doesn't, if the, that, that first player doesn't produce right away. So, right. Uh, Keith and Duke, who would you be upset if the pick was made? Mm-hmm. At, well, I've at said, 14. I've already said quarterback. Yeah. I feel like I need to disqualify quarterback. Yeah, I'm yeah obviously with, quarterback is not going to happen. I'm going to say if there was one guy in the, of, of the first-round bunch that it were, I would really not want to see is Landon Collins, simply because I believe he is kind of the same player as Rashad Jones and really wouldn't be a great fit for, for what Miami wants as, as a safety. 
uh, I, I think that's kind of a, I'm a redundant pick in my, unless you're planning to get rid of Jones for some reason. Uh, I wouldn't like that pick at all much. Uh, I'd probably say um, for Shot Perryman, just because I don't think he'd fit, fit in well with this offense. I understand he's got the just the, the ugly speed, the 4-2 speed going on, but he reminds me of a faster Cordero Patterson. So, I mean, I don't know. I just that there's a there's a lack of attention to the technical skills in his game, and that bothers me. I think that this is an offense where I mean, uh, it's great if you have uh, outstanding speed, outstanding leaping ability, but if you don't have a, a, an outstanding grasp of the, the finer mechanisms involved in playing the receiver position, I think that's an issue. So I, th- I think I'd be disappointed. For me, um, you guys, you you pretty much made the joke with me when I got in here, Keith. It, it's pretty much just uh, my guy, the one guy I'd probably be most upset about if it was picked, it was probably Trey Wayne's that cornerback. I mean, once you once you hear from the the best player himself, Sam Madison, and he tells you that the best the the most important thing that a cornerback needs is to have loose hips and fluid feet and all that stuff, and all and then you hear the biggest complaint against the player is that he has tight hips and he's not good at turning and his footwork is questionable. Then the first thing that comes to your mind is, no, I don't want this player because the best, the one of the best corners to ever play for the Dolphins just said that he doesn't have, he said it indirectly, but he basically just said that he doesn't have what it takes to be a great cornerback in this league. And it, and it baffles the mind that Waynes is getting a first round um, a first-round grade simply because the amount of talent at cornerback this year is so thin that you really just have to pick a guy and say, okay, here you go, here's your best player. He's a first-round well, grade I mean, like you know, like Geno Smith was a first-round grade. Exactly. It's, one thing to keep in mind, though, with the uh, the criticism of the hips and, and the footwork, and, I mean, that's absolutely valid, and – but that was also the same criticism level leveled at uh, Vontae Davis six years ago. That's why as so many people complain about that pick at number 25 in 2009, because they said that uh, when he was at the combine and drills, didn't like the hips, didn't like how he turned. Can find, he, can find him, he can turn and locate the ball, but we don't like how he's flipping his hips in coverage. We didn't like the back huddle. It, I mean, and the reason he's not here anymore had nothing to do with that. I mean, in fact, I know that some people complain that he should still be here. I don't think it was going to work out. But I, I don't think that that's a, a, an ultimate indictment and a death sentence for, for a corner. I think that there are things that you can work through. Uh, the, the biggest issue I have with Wayne's, though, uh, is the, uh, the lack of tackling ability. For, for a guy that big, I just, I'd like to see him be able to bring – bring more of a physical presence to to the tackling department. And I just don't see that. And that Trey Waynes is actually... Not... Pardon? Trey Waynes is actually D. Milliner 2.0. Everybody was high on him. Everybody's mm-hmm. high on Trey Waynes. Corner isn't really good this season. If we really want that guy that's going to lock down the position, we need to wait till next year. Next year, they have 10 corners with a first-round grade, if not a second. 
I think yeah. I, I think that one of the things you're looking at with corner in this draft is if you're looking for a Richard Sherman type or a Revis type that's going to be like this uh, guy that you put out on an island, probably not. If you're looking for guys that kind of fit what Miami does, and there's a number of decent cornerbacks out there that may not become great but would be very good in what Miami does. And a lot of them can be had in later rounds, even the middle rounds, like uh, Sinquez Golson, Etho um, uh, Ekpre Olamu, um, uh, Stephen Nelson is the other guy I was thinking of. Guys like that are not necessarily big names that a lot of people are thinking about because they've got you know guys like Wayne and Peters and whoever else. But um, he's he's a guy that um, those are some, some players that can fit what Miami does and contribute pretty quickly, I think. Um, and they can be had without without the use of a first round pick. We've got about five yeah. minutes left in the show that it was only supposed to go an hour. These things always go longer than they should because we get into these fascinating discussions about the NFL draft, about Cameron Wake, about uh, Miami's uh, dearth of a uh, beat writer situation. So, <laughs> let, me have comment, let me comment one more thing on that. I've never met the, okay. these people in person, so I don't know them personally. They may be great people in person. But okay, okay. Can I can I, Duke before you keep Duke before you keep going? Can I make a, can I make a comment on that? Well, I, so yes, I'm saying I know you've met them, but what I'm going to say is I'm not trying to comment on how on their person personality or their per, what they are in person. The stuff that they put out on Twitter and 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 put out to the fans, that stuff's what needs to stop. Because that stuff is no, you're not adorable. you're not attacking them personally. You're commenting them on them yeah. from a professional standpoint. Yeah, yeah there's nothing that, wrong with that. That stuff that you say is 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 awful, and it's misleading to fans, uh, especially when you treat it like well, what I say is is 100 percent right, and you're just wrong. If you don't believe me, then you're just an idiot, which is kind of the message that comes across. I mean, we all have our opinions, and I put my stuff out on the site. But if somebody says, "Well, no, this is how I feel about it." Then that's you know you're exchanging viewpoints. That's not what's going on here. It's basically like I'm right, you're wrong, and if you disagree, you're an idiot kind of stuff. And I that that's the kind of stuff that's going to stop. Okay, well, not a, I, I can't think of anybody besides. Uh, there's only like two guys on all of beat writer Twitter that I know of who actually do that, and the rest of the guys are not nearly as bad as we're making them out to be. Okay, so let's not lump everybody. I don't want to lump everybody into the same boat here because there's the. I, I honestly don't we're have not, a problem though. with we're, the majority we're, I of think, them. I think we're being quite specific here. Actually, I think yeah. we're choosing not to name names, but I don't think we're painting with a broad brush here. Yeah, but he, because the only thing that's getting me, making me say that is because Duke is saying the beat writers. I mean, like, but if you say beat writers, you're pretty much saying everybody because there's a lot of them, and most of them are not. I know that who bad. he's talking about. I know who he's talking I, about. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. You know, he knows. But I wanted like to be. I wanted to be clear for everybody's sake. We've had some really great beat writers around here. You know, Jeff Garlington. They couldn't get him out of here fast enough just because of how talented he is. I, I wasn't the biggest Ben Bolin fan, but clearly the Northeast was because, you know, they picked him right up. So, I mean, you do get these guys come through here, and, I mean, they're great talents. You know, they, they write well. They communicate with the public. They do a service by communicating the news of the team they cover. Notice what I just said. 
because the people Duke's referring to fail to check that box. They do not uh, accurately and fairly report the team news. They make the news. They don't write it. And that's the number one rule of objective journalism. You don't do that. And when there's an agenda in play, that's a problem. That's a serious problem. It turns into something that's more often than not poisonous. And now you're poisoning the well, which is draft Twitter and Dolphins Twitter. And you've got all these ideas and all the all these thoughts of dissension out there. And you've got people out there who think our quarterback sucks because of the stuff that's being put out there by really one individual, and it spreads like wildfire. That's unprofessional. I have an issue with that. If you don't There's like him as a person, blog. that's fine. There's but, a whole Tannehill sucks blog. I found it today. <laughs> There's a blog just for the sake of Tannehill being a bad quarterback. Oh, yep. well, how we have fallen! Yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, we got a we got a call. We got a, a minute left, and honestly, after hearing that news about that website, I feel like I'm gonna vomit all over myself. So uh, <laughs> for, uh, for, uh, for 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 Duke, once again, that was an outstanding interview he did with Cam Wake. I appreciate yeah. uh, Wake taking the time to speak with us. I appreciate Duke taking the time to interview him. We had to twist his arm to do it. So, uh, yeah, and sure. for uh, <laughs> our good friends, Dolphin fan for life, and Lewis, uh, it's good to hear from you guys. Uh, Marty called in from South Carolina. Good to hear him. So, uh, for everyone for here, uh, and Dolphin fan for life, we hope you get well. Yeah, Thank get you. better, man. Yeah, feel better. Thanks. Be sure to check that All timeline right. next time. You don't want that to happen again. So, for uh, everyone <laughs> from this show, uh, good night. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>